Good afternoon. You are listening to the Grit and Grace Recovery Hour talk radio show that is being brought to you by the Rockdale County Stepping Up Initiative. You can continue listening to us on the CAT 10 ENT network by downloading the His Hop Radio app. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. recovery hour man once again we have a real treat for you guys i know i always say that but it's always true um uh, <laughs> tanisha say hi to the people out there in radio land hello to all of our listeners i am very grateful to be here again on another week with you all here in radio land and i am grateful to be present here with our guest and hear more about his ministry and his calling in life so before we get off to the cosmos, I would be remiss if I didn't first shout out to the Stepping Up Initiative, which is a national initiative that has been adopted here in Rockdale County, the purpose of which is to reduce the number of people in jails that have mental health or substance use disorders, or that look like us on the inside, the outside, or B-side. And also shout out to our fearless leader, Commissioner Doreen Williams, because without her being the driver, without her being the tip of the spear, we probably wouldn't be here like this doing this. So I know that's very important. Also, I'd like to shout out to Hurricane Maine and Cat 10 Entertainment, because without him, we wouldn't have this platform to be on. So with that being said, I would like to introduce our guest, man. And, and so could you tell them, sir, who you are and why you're here? Absolutely, Bill. First of all, thank you for having me on, you and Tanisha, uh, to your listeners. Uh, my name is Eric Dwayne. I am the founder and CEO of Prison Outreach Incorporated. We are a 501c3 nonprofit that is based here in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, our primary goal is to really focus on uh, reducing recidivism by providing programming that we believe works and we know works uh, for the last five years we have been actively involved inside of Jackson State Prison, which is in Jackson, Georgia, as well as the Metro Reentry Facility located over off of 285 in DeKalb County. So let me ask you a question. And, and you know, one of the things that is incredible about our show and about our, our host, all of us are persons in long-term recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and, for, and that means from multi, multiple dimensions of recovery, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. All those people out there that are dual diagnosed, some of us got are just like quad, man. Anyway, I know a lot of people wonder why we got, how we got street cred, man. I wonder a lot of people wonder, I mean, what, what gives them the right to come on here and talk about being in prison, right? And mm. for myself, having been in prison almost 15 years out of my life, can you tell the people from your perspective why this is such an important thing to you? Absolutely. I mean, like yourself, Bill, uh, I served 15 years in federal prison. So knowing the ins and outs of the system is something that, you know, God has given me hindsight being 2020. Now, I often tell people that, you know, God allowed me to infiltrate the system and allowed me to find out the do's and the don'ts. And the, and the reality is, that we have to have people like you, like myself, 
who've actually experienced this to really be able to help others understand the importance of reimagining you know, the system. And when I say reimagining, I'm talking about putting systems in place so that when people come out, they have solid, solid resources that will keep them out and not allow them to go back in and get caught up in that trap. So this is a calling on my life. This is something that God has mandated me to do. Uh, it's something that I'm going to be doing until he calls me home to heaven. But it's absolutely something that is not just a spiritual thing, but it's a human thing. You know, it's, you know, we have people that are on different sides of the coin. Some people don't want to talk about it because it's taboo, but we have to talk about, you know, what's going on. This system has been broke for a long time. And the only way that it's going to be fixed is if there are people that are willing, first of all, who have a heart of Christ, who definitely want to engage this because I can tell you from being an individual that went through this, this is absolutely something that you will not overcome and overtake unless you have the love of Christ in your heart. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And Tanisha, did you want to ask a question? During your, your process of working with people in, you know, coming out of, out of the criminal justice system and into reentry, re what has been the most rewarding part for you? Wow. Uh, well, the most rewarding part is really watching how God can restore life, right? And it began with me, right? You, you can't testify and convince somebody else of the glory of God unless it's first been evident in your life, right? And for me, that's a highlight. But the other highlight is really looking at the family structure being put back in its proper order, right? Uh, as an organization, the board of directors uh, and myself, we focus a lot on a holistic approach. And what I mean by that is we don't just look at the individuals who are incarcerated. We're concerned about their families because at the end of the day, it's not just that individual who's being affected while they're incarcerated, but there's a wife somewhere, there's a mother somewhere, there's a child somewhere, there's a husband somewhere. So all of these things affect the entire family unit. And when you come back home, you know, from incarceration, a lot of times you don't know the impact that you have on a family. What I mean by that is when I first came home, I didn't think about the fact, well, I'm going to have to use the water. So the water bill is going to go up. The electric bill is going to go up. You know what I'm saying? Now I got to eat food. You think about all of these things that affect the dynamics of a family. And a lot of people just don't think about that prior to coming home. They're thinking about, I just want to get home. They're not thinking about those things that affect the fabric of a family. And so we focus on spiritual development, educational development, long-term employment, and long-term housing. Those are the four pillars of transformation that our organization focuses on. And to see the lives of individuals changed. And when I say changed, I mean literally changed. I'm not talking about, you know, somebody just brushing off a little rust. I'm talking about people who have had a mindset change and they're ready to engage life in the right type of way. And seeing those people and us being an integral part of that happening has been nothing but joyous for me. And, and so Eric, let me ask you a question. Um, when did you first get the idea? But when did you first know that this was something that you were going to do? Bill, that's a great question. I actually got this revelation, man, when I had three years left on my bit, 
right? And for those of you who don't know what a bit is, that's what we call it on the inside when we're doing time. Bill knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> but uh, three years left to go on my sentence. And, you know, God had already been dealing with me and, and, and changing me. And I knew that I wanted to do something. I knew that I just could not get out and then go back to just the basics of, you know, life. I couldn't be concerned about just myself. I had to be concerned about others. And because God had given me an opportunity to be able to do that, three years left, I started to kind of put the blueprint together. He started to show me, you know, what needed to be done, what the focus needed to be. So I would say about three years, Bill, that's when I really got the revelation of what to do. And once I got out, it took me probably about another four years to actually make it happen. Okay. Okay. And, and so I know that as I was going through the forensic peer mentor training and, and partnering with the Georgia Mental Health Consumer Network, um, I know that, and, and I remember being part of an experimental project when I was in Savannah called Opening Doors to Recovery. And, and I remember... <laughs> I remember we had people in jail. I was their case manager and I went to jail to visit them and they didn't even want to let me in the jail, right? Uh -huh. and, and, and so, and I remember a time when they wouldn't let me out, but now they wouldn't <laughs> let me in, right? And so that was like really interesting that they wouldn't let me in. So what was that process like for you getting in and, and just navigating that part? What was that like? Man, it was really uh, a unique experience because I actually wanted to go back into federal prisons because federal prison is where I got my time. And the thing is, that wasn't the will that God had for my life. What ended up happening is I ended up meeting a gentleman uh, by the name of Bernard Miller, who is the director of chaplaincy services in Jackson. And uh, when I say, man, this guy literally just opened up the doors. I mean, the favor of God was on my life. The favor of God was on his life. And it just gave us an opportunity to go in. And of course, you know, when God opens the door, you walk through it, you know? Uh, and so what happened was that was about six years ago. And, you know, you talk about being able to go in, man. And, and that point when you're incarcerating, you're thinking you'll never get out. But I tell you, there's nothing more empowering than to walk into a place that you were once held captive in and go back in and tell others about the goodness of God and how, how realistic, and, and this is real important, how realistic it is for someone like me to be able to go in and tell these men and women this, but not only that, to be able to have the kind of relationships that we've established with the staff, because you know, when you're incarcerated, you know, you tend to think it's you against them. It's us against them, you know, and the reality is, you know, that's not the case, man. These people work really, really hard to make sure that changes are made and they're up under a lot of stress, man. And, and to be able to every time I go in and I go in quite often. And so, you know, when I'm in there, I'm always grateful that I'm able to walk those halls and I'm able to reflect and think about a time when I was wearing, you know, the chains on my ankles and on my wrists. Yes. But now I get to go in and share the good news of God and tell people how those chains can be broken. Yes, 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 yes. So, and, and I know that with your program, you were talking about uh, the different components. So, um, and, and I know, and it was interesting that you brought that up because I was doing a, a class earlier today and, and a young lady was asking me 
about reconciliation with the family and, and the resistance from some members to accept the new version of her. Uh -huh. and, and one of the things that I was telling her, obviously, that's a God thing. You know, you do your best and he does the rest. But I was telling her one of the things that that really I came to believe and understand is that with and you said it earlier, without that relationship with God and without recovery, I don't think it would have been possible for me to heal. Right. And, and, and it just would have been impossible. Um, so let me ask you a question. Obviously, one of your domains is spiritual development mm -hmm. and, and kind of how tell us how you approach that behind the wall. How does that work? Kind of tell us how you approach that, because I know a lot of people, there are a lot of different variables. And I know that I go into the jails and do some work. And so navigating that is an interesting thing. But I'm just interested on how you do it with with your um, deliverable. So it's it's done through relationship, Bill, you know, and and what I mean by that is because we are not technically a religious organization, mm -hmm. right? We focus on all aspects. And so when I'm talking spiritual development, right, I'm really talking about a relationship with God, a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now, keep in mind, you know, when I'm inside, I'm dealing with individuals who are Muslims. I'm dealing with individuals who are atheists. I'm dealing with individuals who even worship the devil, right? Mm -hmm. But yes. at the end of the day, here's what I know. And this is from my walk, right? Because I'm not a religious person, I'm a relational person. And, you know, when we're on the inside, you know, of course I share my testimony and that always helps because people always, you know, tend to listen to you when you can relate to what they're going through. But more importantly, right, I don't go in hitting them over the head with a Bible. I don't go in quoting a lot of scriptures to them. I go in just demonstrating a heart of care, right? Wanting them to know I'm here because I care about you. I'm here because it's important to me what happens to you, what happens to your family. And of course, when you're talking to anybody and you're talking to them about, you know, the makeup of their family, that's relational. Right. And so for us, it's really important to build that spiritual platform by just simply saying, look, if you don't believe in what I believe in, you need to be able to get some type of moral compass that can help you navigate through life. And all of that is about relationships. And so for us, it's a very relational thing, man. I, I spend a lot of time talking to the men and women about family, about friends, about things that deal with relationships. And that's our focus. That's the way that we approach it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. We would like to thank our leader, Commissioner Dr. Doreen Williams, the Rockdale County Sheriff's Office, along with other numerous partners and stakeholders that are taking the initiative to create change for the Rockdale County recovery community. We know that it takes all parts of a community to carry out this vision, and together we are stronger. And, and so um, I know, obviously, Denise is very interested in the educational development because mm -hmm. she happens to be part of the brain trust of our organization. Uh -huh. So kind of with, from the educational development, what are some of the things that you deal with? Some of the things kind of what is that avenue like? For us, it's a little bit unique because what we find is that everybody is not set for a classroom setting, right? But what we focus on when we talk about educational development is really wanting to encourage the men and women to learn a trade, 
right? Uh, to learn carpentry, to learn electricians, uh, responsibilities. And the reason that is, is because we found that over the years, trades are some of the best ways for individuals to get back up on their feet. And the reality is these positions pay better than, you know, some of the positions working at a restaurant, positions that may be working at a retail store. So we encourage people that participate in our programs to learn a trade because we found that, you know, if you learn a trade, and you come back home and you're making good money, the likelihood of you returning is very slim compared to if you don't take on any type of initiative to educate yourself. And, and we push trades, but it doesn't necessarily have to be trades. I mean, if you're an individual who uh, wants to go back to school the traditional route, a two-year college or a four-year college, we encourage that as well. But what we know is that when you take on educational development, what it does is it gives you the ability to set a short-term and a long-term goal. And one of the challenges that a lot of people have incarcerated is that they're not good at setting goals and accomplishing them. And one of the things that educational development does, it allows you, whether it's seven months, eight months, a year, it allows you to say, okay, I'm gonna you know, get involved in this program and I'm gonna see it through. And from a psychological standpoint, that's, that's a big, you know, that's a big thing coming out because now you're looking at something you're saying, man, I set my mind to this and I was able to accomplish it. I was able to go from point A to point B. And so if I can do that with this educational thing, perhaps I can do that with my life. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Tanisha, did you have a question? Okay, so you know, after the education or along with the education, you also offer or focus on long-term employment. Tell us and the listeners about that pillar of your program. So long-term employment is, is something that's really crucial to individuals not returning back to the system or going back to jail. And what I mean by that is, when, and, and we specifically put long-term on the front of that. If you notice, I just didn't put employment. It's long-term employment because we know that, you know, 68% of individuals who are released from prison are back within three years. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they don't have long-term employment. Going back to my initial statement, talking about educational development in the trades. When you look around now, right, everywhere you drive in the city of Atlanta, you see construction going on, right? And it's been that way for a while. And these are positions that are long-term positions. These, a lot of these companies have great benefits. Uh, some of these positions are union jobs. So when you're starting to talk about long-term employment, you wanna make sure that you're introducing individuals to opportunities that can cover them for the next five, 10, 15, 20 years, right? The likelihood of somebody getting out of prison, uh, going to find a job at their local fast food restaurant and being able to maintain that over a long period of time is highly unlikely, right? And so, you know, we want to focus on realistic measures, you know, realistic opportunities that will allow people to stay out. Because when I talk to a lot of people on the inside, one of the things that they tell me is, man, I just couldn't find good work. I couldn't mm -hmm. find good, you know, good employment. And for us, that equates to a lot of times them not knowing. Right, mm -hmm. a lot of individuals who are coming out, they have no clue about the opportunities that are out there. So for us, it's really important to be a resource center as well. Uh, we spend a lot of time, 
you know, talking to construction companies and dealing with individuals who own their own trade businesses and, you know, giving these guys an opportunity as well as women, giving them an opportunity to do this. And, and the reality is, you know, it's not hard for them to come out making 17, 20, $25 an hour. And when you're making that kind of money, that's money that can help you get on your feet and stay on your feet. Yes, you're absolutely right about that. And, and then I'm also, I, obviously, your last domain is long-term housing. And so tell us how you approach that. And then we're going to segue into conversation that you and I were having the other day. Well, the long-term housing is uh, something that has been on my heart for a long time, man. We have experienced, you know, opening up a halfway house. We've done that. But, you know, you asked me this earlier about when the vision was given to me. And it's always been my desire to have a campus. If you can imagine like a small community college type of campus where we can house individuals there while they also learn uh, trades and also are able to, you know, kind of mix back into society. But the long-term housing that we're looking at is really about a two-year program, right? That's what we're really looking at because it takes individuals about that long to kind of get reacclimated to figure out what's going on. And, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, we will be able to work with the County of Rockdale to really help out in terms of providing this type of long-term housing because it's something that's needed. Um, there are some things that we're looking at that are a little bit different than traditional housing because you want to be able to do something that is different, right? And that's really important to us to do something that's different. And when I talk about, you know, a small community college type of environment, most of these individuals that are coming out of prison are coming away from concrete and steel. That's all yeah. they see every day, concrete and steel, right? To be able to create an environment where you may have a garden, to be able to create an environment where there may be a pond or, you know, just something that's more welcoming, right? Even on the housing, we don't want steel. We don't want concrete. You know, we want to be able to show them, listen, we know that you're human. We don't want you to come out and be in a, an environment that reminds you of where you came from. We want to change that perspective. We want to change that mindset. So when we're looking at long-term housing, man, we're talking about doing some things that, you know, even from an aesthetic standpoint, you know, these people can see that, you know, this is a nice place. And not only is it a nice place, but it's a place that's going to help you get back on your feet and stay on your feet. So let me, let me ask you a question. For people that would be going into this type of program, how, how would that happen? Would that be on a referral basis? Would, what is, I mean, and I know nothing happens for free. So explain to me kind of how that works. How would people get into it? How would they, you know, and what's the finance piece to that for so, an individual coming out of prison? So the first part of that going in terms of how it takes place, we actually, our model is built on going into the prisons. And it's very important that we get to know the individuals that are coming into our program for obvious reasons, right? Mm -hmm. When you're running a program like this, all it takes is for one person to mess it up or one person to come out and do something that, you know, society deems, you know, bad. And then there you go. Right. So for us, it's real important to go in. And a lot of times, man, we we meet these individuals when they still have a year or two left on their sentence. We're on the inside. We're talking to their case managers. We're talking to their counselors. You know, we're, we're screening them. You know, I mean, this is not a referral type of situation. We're screening those individuals that we're choosing to come into the program. And I, and I say that because we have to do that. We have to choose those individuals and we have to be very, very thorough 
about the screening process. And so when we're on the inside, we're talking to them and we're spending time. And one of the questions that I always like to ask when I'm doing the screening, I like to ask questions about individuals' families because that tells you a lot about where their mindset is. You know, it, 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 when you start talking to individuals and they're talking about their families and just wanting to get back, it reminds me of me because I remember how I was. You know, I was an individual that constantly thought about my family and it was very important to me to get back to my family. You know, uh, while I was incarcerated, my father passed and that was very hard for me. That was very difficult for me because I never got to see him again on this side of heaven. So when you're thinking about those things, these are the type of things that you want to ask people about. With regards to the finances, right, the state of Georgia currently, right, for three months will pay up to about $700 per individual, right, for a three-month period for them to come out. And so that's one way that individuals can take care of that. But one of the things that we focus on is while they're going through that three-month period and the state is taking care of that financial responsibility, we're working diligently to make sure that they're in long-term employment. Once again, we're back to that because they have to be able to have a long-term employment situation to maintain because after that three-month period, the state is not going to pay anymore, but they're still going to have to have a place to stay. So for us, we use that 90 days to kind of ramp them up, to get them involved, you know, in some long-term employment so that when that three-month period is over with, they're able to maintain that financial responsibility on their own. Okay, that, make, that makes good sense. Um, you know, I, I just know that I am so encouraged to hear about what you're doing. And, and I think about all the years that I was cycling through those systems, coming out zero, man. You know what I'm saying? Just mm. coming out dead end and, and just going straight back no forward, back. Right. Say, hey, man, where you going, man? I'm going back. You know what I mean? You're right. Back. And, and, and you know, just going back and back and back till you ain't got no back left. Right. And, and then, you know, and, and so that that is so encouraging. Uh, that is so, you know, man, that's what it takes. So one of the things that we with the Stepping Up Initiative are looking at Obviously, we're looking at those type of partnerships. You know, we're looking at just how to create a better, a better world, a better environment for all of us, for the coexisting of human beings. And, and you know, you talked about spiritual development. I believe that we can be active participants in the facilitation of miracles, man. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and without it, 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 you know, God can and will, you know, God can be God all by himself, but together we are stronger, you know? And, and so I just am so in awe of that. So in awe of the fact that you're here today, I know that when you and I were talking, you were kind of talking about with the educational piece, you were talking about some specific domains. I know you talked about industrial maintenance, you talked about welding, we talked about some other things. So kind of touch on those domains, because those are where the living wage lives. Yeah, actually, uh, one of our board members, and uh, he's also the CFO, uh, Dr. William Clark, is uh, a former educator yes. from uh, 
New York and he sits on our board and, you know, being an educator, man, he is very, very, very adamant about us making sure that we have viable programs. And when you talk about welding, when you talk about, you know, electrical and, and plumbing and HVAC and, and framing houses and all of these type of things, right? I'm amazed at, you know, how many opportunities are available out there. You know, there are a lot of individuals that, you know, are willing to give people a second chance. The industry of trades doesn't look down on individuals with a past criminal record as much as maybe some of the other industries, right? We know for a fact that it's very unlikely that a person with a criminal background is going to be able to get into the banking industry or something like that, right? But these type of opportunities, man, provide great jobs. Like case in point, uh, if an individual wanted to be a welder, right? It's, it's very realistic, man. In this environment now, if they put in the right work and they get with the right company, there's no reason for them not to be able to make six figures. You know, I mean, and this is realistic now. Is it hard work? Yeah, it's absolutely hard work. But, you know, we figure if the average person, right, I think the last time I checked, the average household income in this country is somewhere around $35,000 a year. Well, automatically, when you take on a trade, you're making somewhere between $20 an hour and up, which automatically brings you above the average, right? And that's what has to take place. It's these type of, of common sense approaches and practical approaches and looking at what's out there and what's real. This is not, you know, about, you know, trying to create some magical, you know, experience there are some opportunities out there that we can take advantage of. But the reality is, like you said earlier, we have to be able to come together. We're, we're stronger together than we are apart. And, and the challenge is, you know, I don't think that organizations in the past like ours have done enough to reach out to the counties and to the city and to the state and say, look, we're here. We exist. We're here to help you. We're, we're here to come alongside of you all to bridge this gap because, it doesn't matter what city, what state you're talking about in this country, we all are experiencing high crime. And a big reason why that is, is because a lot of these individuals, like you said, man, they come out and the first thing they think, there's nothing out here. I'm just going to do what I need to do. I know I'll be back. You know, I've talked to individuals who, before they even got out of prison, had already planned what they were going to do to go back. That's right. And it yep, wasn't you're, because, you're... and it wasn't necessarily because, you know, they were crazy. It was because they just didn't know any other way, mm -hmm. right? And, mm -hmm. and, the, and the thing is, you'll be amazed at the people that you meet that are incarcerated that just didn't know another way. Yes, yes. And, and you know, it's incredible that you say that because in, in my years and years and years of dysfunction, people used to always say to me, you know better. You know the difference between right and wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, you, that, was, that was your choice. And people have absolutely no idea from a cultural perspective how I was put together. You right. know, I was right. put together by some people who were misinformed, hurt, misinformed, spiritually bankrupt, misinformed, hurt, lost. Yep. And then they those are the people that taught me how to live. And, right. and so we came out. <laughs> we came out wrong, baby. Yeah. We came out wrong. We wasn't asking for nothing because we didn't. If we asked you, the answer might be no. So mm -hmm. don't ask. You won't get the no. Let's just let's just run them pockets. You yeah. know. We would like to take a moment to acknowledge some of our partners in recovery. 
we are appreciative partners of the Georgia Mental Health Consumer Network and would like to acknowledge them for providing peers with mental health resources and opportunities to become certified peer specialists in specific domains of their recovery. You can visit their website by going to www.gmhcn.org. We are also proud to be in partnership with the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. They provide multiple recovery resources in the CARES Support Online. You can visit their website by going to gasubstanceabuse.org. And, and so today, um, I want to ask you a question. What is the greatest privilege that you have, and I know we were looking at this in one of our things the other day, power, preference, and privilege. What are the three most valuable things in your life today, Eric? Uh, well, my faith, my family, and my future. Yes. And what I mean by that is my faith in God, because without him, I can't do anything, right? Family, because Everybody knows how important family is, right? How valuable family is. You can't get through anything in life, whether we're talking incarceration, uh, we're talking divorce, we're talking a sickness, we're talking whatever it is, right? Family is very important, but thirdly, future. And when I say future, I want to incorporate community with that because I'm not just thinking about my future. I'm not just thinking about my family's future, right? But when we're looking at, you know, this incarceration thing, right? As crime goes up, that could potentially affect my family. That could affect your family, right? Which in return could affect our futures. Think about, uh, I'm looking at the news the other day, right? And, you know, these young kids that have just been, you know, convicted or not convicted, but incarcerated for the killing of a 15-year-old. Here are a group of young people whose future looks very bad right now, mm -hmm. right? And when I think about the future, I'm thinking about not only the young people, but I'm thinking about the people who are affected by the young people that are committing these crimes. And so without us doing something, without us getting involved, without us being able to say, okay, look, we don't have all the answers, but we know someone who does, right? We serve someone who does. And if we're willing to lay at his feet, right? And we're willing to gain instruction as to what the spirit of God is telling us to do, we can change the narrative, right? We can change the narrative on this thing. And not only that, but we can change the future because I don't want my son to grow up just like you don't want your sons and daughters to grow up living in a world where everybody automatically assumes that the future is full of crime and chaos, right? Mm. That's not the reality. That's not the reality from what my Bible tells me, right? Mm. So for me, it's really important to stay focused on those things, man, to stay focused on faith, to stay focused on family, to stay focused on the future of our people, of our generation. And when I say people, I'm talking humanity. I'm not talking black, yes. white, rich, poor, you know, right. we are the human race. Yes. <laughs> we are not the black race, the white race. We are the human race. And so for yes. me, it's important to be able to share all of that information so that we as a people understand that we're on this earth together and we've got to live together. Absolutely. So with that being said, um, I think the project sounds like an incredible thing. So where are you at with the project? Kind of what are the next steps? When are we, when can we move into the houses? Kind of what, what is, what does all that look like for you? So currently, me and Tanisha are ready to move in right now. Well, currently, you know, what we're doing as you and I spoke when we, when we met last week, 
Right now, we are actively looking for property, man. We're looking for at least 20 acres of land. The housing program, the long-term employment, uh, the other pillars, we're constantly working with that because we're, we've been allowed to go back into the prisons now. So we are back in for about a year or so because of COVID, of course, we couldn't go back in. But, you know, that really is what spearheaded us uh, to say, you know, we need to make this housing piece a reality because when COVID hit, we couldn't go in. And mm -hmm. so it disrupted our model. Right. And we always knew that we wanted a housing facility. It was just a matter of God's timing. And I think what happened with COVID, it made us realize that this is the time. So now we're actively looking for, you know, property out here in uh, Rockdale County where we can, you know, whether it's new construction or whether it's an existing facility that needs to be renovated, uh, like I talked with, with you about, you know, we're willing to partner with anybody who has a heart to see this thing through. And, you know, we've got the resources in terms of human people in terms of who can run this program. And so that's what we're looking to do, man. We are actively looking for that. We would love to be able to say, hey, you know, in the next year, we're going to break ground on this property or whatever. We're also working with a church uh, in Snellville that has 16 acres of land. And uh, they are very, very interested in creating a housing piece for Gwinnett County as well. Mm -hmm. So... I just met with them last week and it looks like that's gonna move forward. We met with zoning earlier in the week. Uh, zoning said that it's definitely something that can happen. Mm -hmm. So it's not about talking anymore, Bill. You know, it's about, yes. you know, moving forward and seeing this thing become a reality. And uh, I believe it will, man. I, I'm believing God that before this year is up, we will have the property that we need uh, to be able to move forward in this. And, and to be honest with you, man, you know, I really believe that this is a great opportunity to demonstrate to the rest of the country what can be, right? Yes. We can be one of the first uh, to create an environment like this. I've been to a lot of the transitional centers that are here in the state of Georgia. And what we're talking about doing is nothing like what they're doing, right? And to be mm -hmm. honest, they're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed with the capacity. You have roughly right now about 55,000 people incarcerated in the state of Georgia. And out of those 55,000 people that are incarcerated in the next year, you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to 15,000 being released. Well, where are they being released to and what are they being released for, right? Mm -hmm. So yes. for us, it's really important to make sure that we have something in place. And so we're actively, man, and I, I say that, you know, I use that word actively because as just last week I was out, you know, driving around looking, you know, trying to locate uh, properties where we can make this happen, man. So yeah. that's where we are in the phase of things. Like I said, hopefully by, you know, the summer of this year, you know, maybe I'll be able to come back on and, and talk with you and Tanisha and tell you that we've already acquired a property and, and now we're building and we're moving forward. That's right, man. And me and Tanisha, we can't wait. Right. And, and so I do understand this is, these are interesting times um, from the perspective of the pandemic and how that freezes certain parts of the society and then unlocks other parts. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so, uh, believe me, I am there with you on that. Uh, let me ask you a question. How has the pandemic impacted you personally as well as your project? And I, I heard you say that for a bit, we couldn't go into the jails and it was the same over here. Then they let us back in. And then last week they shut us down again. So how has the pandemic and personally, how has it impacted me? Well, I have COVID right now. Yeah. So that, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's right. unfortunate. 
However, we still do what we do. What about you? How has it impacted you? I mean, from a personal standpoint, you know, uh, I have not personally, you know, tested positive for COVID, but I've had family members and friends who have. And unfortunately, we've had friends who have passed as a result of it. So personally, it definitely has affected me. But here's what it did for me, though. It opened my eyes to see that there has to be a sense of urgency, right? There has to be a sense of urgency to do the right thing. If there's nothing else that we've learned through this pandemic is that it is not a pandemic that cares about what color you are, where you come from, what your socioeconomical background is. It's affecting us all, right? So from that standpoint, personally, man, it just made me realize, you know, you got to have more of an appreciation and love for people, right? As well as understanding, you know, that this thing, you know, we don't know when it's going to go away, if it ever will go away, right? So now it's about making adjustments. And that leads me into, you know, the perspective of our project. Not being able to go into the prisons, man, was very difficult. You know, because it basically meant that, you know, we were kind of on a standstill for a whole year. And, you know, just like I know, when you're an organization like ours, a year away from your model, for some people that could be detrimental. I mean, think about how many churches had to close their doors, right? right. You know, you had a lot of companies that shut down because they couldn't, you know, they couldn't make that adjustment. And so Mm -hmm. I'm very, very grateful to God that we're still here. You know, and not only are we still here, but we're here looking to to determine how we move forward in case something like a pandemic happens again or, you know, God forbid, but something mm-hmm. happens that prevents us from going in. Now, right now, we're able to go in. You know, it's a little bit different going into a prison environment versus going into a jail environment. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so for us, we've never really focused on jails. We've always focused on the prisons. So we're still able to get in and uh, I'm happy about that. You know, uh, I'm actually going to go down one day next week because we got a lot of reading material that we need to drop off. But uh, just basically, man, really wanting to to get this campus up and running and make it a reality, because I believe once people see that and they're able to, to walk the campus and actually see what the vision is, It'll do a lot for, you know, what we're wanting to do moving forward. And we won't ever have to worry about the project being on stalemate again. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, and all the people out there in Radio Land, I'm sure they want to understand how do they connect with you? How do they support you? So can you give them some information on how they do that? Yeah, actually, you can visit us on our website. Our website is prisonoutreachonline.org, and that's all one word, prisonoutreachonline.org. You can also reach us uh, by mail at uh, P.O. Box 80336. That's Conyers, Georgia, 30013. And, uh, you know, we'll reach out, man. I mean, uh, we're here. You know, we, we're looking for volunteers. We're looking for people that want to engage that, you know, and if you don't want to get involved from a physical standpoint, you know, we need your help monetarily. You know, I mean, uh, these type of projects cost money. You know, these type of endeavors have to be funded. And so, you know, we're looking for partners and we're looking for opportunities to be able to do that. But once again, you can reach us online at prisonoutreachonline.org. You can also reach us by mail at Prison Outreach Incorporated, P.O. Box 803-36, Conyers, Georgia, 30013. Wow, that is super, man. You know, I want to thank you for taking time out your busy schedule to come and be with us this afternoon and, and to give the people this information and revelation as well. 
I look forward to our partnership, look forward to all the things that we're going to do because our God is not a man that he will fail. So we know that uh, failure is not an option. Uh, with that being said, Tanisha, can you tell all the people out there in Radio Land how they can get this message? Absolutely, I can. Um, always, we want to invite everyone to stay connected with us. You can stay connected by visiting our website. Our website is rockdalesteppingup.com. And if you go to the bottom of that website, there's a little Stay Connected tab. If you click on that, it'll take you to a library of our monthly newsletters. On our newsletters, you will get a message from Commissioner Doreen Williams talking about the Rockdale community, talking about recovery and some of the things that we have going on. There's also um, a video in there called The Champion of Recovery, where we select a person in recovery that tells their story, gives a message of hope every month. And then we also have several different community resources, recovery resources, and community partners announcements in that newsletter. Also, we would like to invite everyone to all of the Grit and Grace social media pages. It's under Grit and Grace RCO, which can be found on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, if you want to keep hearing these messages, the ones just like you've heard today, you can tune in on Wednesday at 12 noon and Thursdays at 1 p.m. on the Cat 10 ENT, which is played on the His Hop Network. If you cannot listen at those times, we invite you to our podcast, which is called The Recovery Hour. And we're on seven different platforms, y'all. We're on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and iTunes. So y'all keep coming back. Oh, man, I'm glad I don't have to say that. Anyway, with that being said, <laughs> when you're gifted, you're gifted, man. And when you ain't, you ain't. So with that being said, Eric, what message do you have out there for all the people that are going to hear this message and hear your voice? What do you have to leave them with? Well, I just want to leave this with you. Know that there is an organization that is in your community that's working diligently to make sure that we can address uh, the crime issue that we have by providing programs like we've discussed today. Like I said, one of our biggest missions is to reduce recidivism. And the only way that you can reduce recidivism is by making sure that there are programs in place that can make sure that those things happen. Uh, I wanna shout out Dr. William Clark, David Rainwater, uh, Orman Morris. These are individuals that are part of our board of directors. These gentlemen work tirelessly to help us make sure that we keep this program going, making sure that we have the things in place that we need so that we don't fall by the wayside. But for the citizens of Rockdale County and the state of Georgia, be encouraged. Be encouraged in knowing that you have men and women of God that are on the scene with this issue. And we're gonna work diligently to make sure that we get results because we know God is not a, a God that he fails. He always accomplishes what he sets forth to do. And we determine, we are determined to make sure that that becomes a reality. Well, thank you so much. Anyway, everybody out there, Radio Land, this is Bill and Tanisha. We wanna thank you once again. We wanna thank you for your outpouring of support. We wanna thank you for all the letters, for all the questions. We want to even thank our listeners over there in Germany. We, we want to thank them too, the German dudes. Hey, and you know, Tanisha, I want to thank you. I want to thank you, man. And for all the people that can barely hear the sound of my voice, Tanisha's voice is the voice of the future. So y'all send in letters and tell her that you want her to transition. Anyway, with that being said, y'all <laughs> cherish the chips you hold. All right, y'all.
Thank you for tuning in and feeding your recovery with another episode of the Recovery Hour. Remember that you can stay connected with us by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Grit and Grace RCO or just keep coming back every Wednesday at 12 noon. Until then, and as always, cherish the chips you hold.